Well, this might be hard to believe, but in a former life, I served a brief stint as a charismatic worship leader. Now, I use the word charismatic to define the theology rather than anything about my personality, if you know me well. Uh, But as part of my duties uh, in that role, I was sent on a conference all about church music. It turned out to be a great conference. Uh, One particular insight stuck with me over the years. Uh, Someone pointed out uh, that there are two main elements in Christian hymns and songs. Uh, The first is revelation. The second is response. Uh, By revelation, he meant that some songs emphasize certain truths about God. Uh, In these songs, we don't just praise God, but we actually remind one another of who God is. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. Now, on the other hand, there are response songs, you could say. Uh, For these songs, the focus is slightly different. Uh, The stress instead is on the way that these truths impact us. In some ways, the song we just sang does that. Are you thirsty? Are you empty? Come and drink these living waters. And now, in truth, you can never isolate these two things, uh, revelation and response. I guess there can be a matter of emphasis in any particular song. If we emphasize one over the other, then it tends to get lopsided. Uh, Revelation without response is just dry orthodoxy. Uh, Response without revelation is just fluff. And I have to say, to, uh, to the credit of Brian and our music leaders, I think they do a great job of, of actually picking songs that emphasize both or balancing these things out in our service. Uh, but why do I bring that up at all? Am I just seizing on the chance to say a few things helpful about uh, worship music? And now I say this because what we have before us here in Habakkuk 3 is a worship song or a hymn. Uh, Verse 1 describes it as a prayer of Habakkuk. Uh, But at the end, in verse 19, uh, we see the suggestion that this was intended to be sung. Uh, To the choir master, it says, with stringed instruments. And I I don't just think that was backing music. And no, this is a sung prayer. And as a sung prayer, it contains the very two elements that I mentioned a moment ago. Uh, There is revelation. We learn something about God. Uh, And there's a response. We see how this truth about God impacts Habakkuk and should impact us. In fact, you could think of this whole chapter as a kind of closing hymn. Uh, Consider what we've seen so far in this book. Uh, Habakkuk has this Q&A session with God. Uh, The questions really have centered on one big thing. What will God do about evil? There's been this back and forth between God and Habakkuk. Uh, And if you weren't here for that, I encourage you to read chapters 1 and 2 and even perhaps to go to the website and listen to those sermons. Uh, But last week, we saw God provide his big answer. We saw that God is going to do something. Uh, You see, the so-called problem of evil isn't just a philosophical question that requires an answer. No, it is a real-world problem that requires a solution. Uh, And God will provide that solution. Uh, One day soon, God will come and fully and finally deal with all wickedness and evil. Uh, And if you're a Christian, you know that he's already begun to do that through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Easter is all about. Uh, And yet, having received this clear answer from God, what comes next in this book? Well, we find a change in tone, don't we? Habakkuk is no longer questioning God in quite the same way. Uh, And I think this in and of itself teaches us something important. Uh, Because having heard God's answer, what does Habakkuk do? The answer is Habakkuk now leads us in worship. He pulls out his guitar, you could say, and he starts to lead us in a song. And as I said, that song contains those those two elements. Uh, Firstly, there's a revelation. We see it there in verses 3 through 15. 
Habakkuk describes a dramatic vision of God, God coming in power to judge and save. But then there is a model response as well. We see this in verse 2 and 16. Either side of this vision, we see how God uh, arriving should fill us with with mixed emotions. It should fill us with with both horror and hunger. Uh, And in the next few moments, uh, we're going to unpack each of these things, the revelation and the response. And uh, I have to say, this wasn't planned, at least it wasn't planned by me, but I think that this revelation and this response is perfectly fitting for this morning, this Palm Sunday. And so first, let's look at the revelation. Uh, The revelation really lies at the very heart of Habakkuk's song. Uh, Remember, Habakkuk is a prophet. And back in chapter 2, as a prophet, God said he would give Habakkuk a vision. And as Habakkuk sings, he tells us what he saw in that vision. Uh, He received a dramatic vision of God himself. Uh, And what do we learn about God? Well, we learn that God is on the move. Uh, Look down at Habakkuk 3, verse 3 with me. Uh, God came from Timan, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. Now, although Habakkuk speaks in the present tense here, we need to understand what he's describing is a vision of the future. Last week, we saw a part of that vision. We saw God declaring his sentence on the sins of the world. And now in chapter 3, we get a vision of that sentence being executed. God is coming. The images of God descending once again on Mount Sinai, as he did with Moses. And and he's coming down and marching through the land. And as he does, we notice two things about him. Firstly, we notice his power. And then secondly, we notice his purpose. There's a strong emphasis on the power of God here. It's described in a very graphic, very poetic way. Verse 3 continues, his splendor covers the heavens and the earth is full of his praise. And that splendor is displayed in radiant light. Verse 4, his brightness was like the light, rays flashing from his hands like lightning. There he veiled his power. And before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He's leaving a trail of devastation. Look at verse 6. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. Uh, Creation itself seems to reel and writhe at his arrival. Uh, And what impact does this have on man? Look at verse 7. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. Uh, The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Uh, And I have to say, as we read a passage like this, I think for many of us it can be quite hard to grasp. In fact, at our men's group just the other day, one of you confessed that you struggle with these poetic portions of Scripture. And I think the problem is that we often tend to view life in a very wooden and literal way. In one sense, Peter Pan is right. Many of us have grown old and we have lost our imaginations. And so we come to a passage like this and we try to make sense of it very literally. We expect it to read like a newspaper or like a medical journal. But thankfully it isn't that. Thankfully it isn't that bland and boring. No, God's word is rich. It's varied. Sometimes he uses historical prose like First Samuel or one of the Gospels. Sometimes he uses clinical legal logic like Paul in Romans. But very often we find him using these dramatic pictures. In fact, as I read this, I think about the Song of Moses in Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapters 1 through 14 recount the history of of God delivering Israel in a very straightforward historical way. God performs literal historical plagues. God literally and historically leads his people out of Egypt. God literally and historically parted the Red Sea. 
Uh, but then Moses uh, picks up his guitar and starts to sing a song about those events. And in that song, he describes those very same events, but does so in a way that is much more poetic. Uh, the song has God hurling around chariots with his mighty hands. In the song, God is blasting oceans with the breath of his nostrils. You see, part of the problem is that we can't see God. And so in his love, God so often gives us these visions in his word. He unveils to us an unseen reality. And that's what we have in this vision in Habakkuk 3. A vision that could equally appear in a work of fantasy like Lord of the Rings. But this is not fantasy. Just like the Exodus, this describes real events. Uh, but it describes those events in a way that, that, that's poetic. Uh, God is here. He's marching from Sinai, blowing through the desert like a tempest, shaking the nations with his mighty hands, his feet trampling down the mountains. Now, what is the point? Well, surely it's to see God's power. God is coming in power. He's coming like a mighty warrior. Uh, I mean, God is, is riding through the rivers on chariots. Look down at verse 8. Uh, was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? Or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on the chariot of salvation? His weapons are poised, verse 9. Uh, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. Uh, you split the earth with rivers. God is coming in power. He's coming like a mighty conqueror. Uh, and so great is his power that even creation groans when he appears. Verse 10, the mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted up its hands on high. Uh, the sun and moon stood still in their place. Uh, at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. Even as uh, we read those words, it, it makes us think of the shocking images that we saw this last week, doesn't it? Coming out of Mississippi and, and across uh, the country, actually, through a whole string of tornadoes. Neighborhoods gone, trucks on top of houses. These things are devastating. They just give a hint of God's power. Uh, but God is coming with that power. That's what Habakkuk sees in this vision. And once again, we need to remember, this is poetry, but they, it's poetry used to describe a, a literal event, something that will be true in human history. Remember the promise that we've seen, God will come. He will come to deal with all evil. This will take place in real time, at some specific day or time in the future. And this vision, this revelation is designed to give us a sense of, of God's power when he comes. God is coming in power, but on top of that, we also get a clear vision of God's purpose. Why is God coming in power? Well, he's coming to judge, and he's coming to save. Look at verse 12 with me again. At verse 12, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in your anger. There is the judgment of God there in verse 12. God is coming in power. He's coming to deal with evil. In fact, I wonder if you notice this, there are parallels between what God is doing here and what we already learned about the nation of Babylon. Uh, back in chapter 1, we learned that Babylon themselves had marched through the land, gathering nations for themselves. Uh, and this was part of the big problem for Habakkuk. It's part of the problem for us. How can God use such horrendous things to advance his holy purposes? Uh, well, here is the answer. We saw it last week too. Yes, he uses wicked nations like Babylon to bring his judgment, but one day, at the end of time, God will judge Babylon themselves. 
And this is where it all ends, not with sin on top of sin on top of sin, piling up and up. No, it ends with God marching through the lands to claim the nations for himself. God is coming in power. He's going to judge the whole earth. And listen, we need to know that, don't we? We have to be sure of that because we have to be sure that we're ready. And yet that is only half of the story. God is coming in power to judge, but look down at how the revelation continues. Look at verse 12. You went out for salvation, for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. God is coming to judge. All of his power is directed toward that, but all of that same power is directed towards the rescue of his people. And people like Habakkuk, people who live by faith, people who have waited for him. Uh, People who have questioned God about all of the evil and pain and suffering in the world, but people who, at the end of the day, trust God and take God at his word. Uh, God is coming in power to judge and to save. That's what this this vision tells us. That's the theme of Habakkuk's closing hymn. Uh, This is what he's praising God for. Uh, And this is ultimately where all of that questioning leads him. And listen, this is where it should lead us as well, especially this Sunday morning, especially on Palm, on Palm Sunday as we, we, we anticipate and, and celebrate Easter. Uh, the reason is because this dramatic vision of God coming has already partially been fulfilled. In fact, this dramatic vision of Habakkuk 3 is, is really a picture of the coming of the Lord Jesus. God is coming in power to judge and save. In fact, that's exactly what we already saw in the passage that we read earlier. From Matthew chapter 21, we read of the triumphal entry, Jesus marching into Jerusalem. And I suggest that we put these two passages side by side. Uh, And when we do that, we have to say at first glance, it it almost seems like they're opposites, don't they? In one, we have Almighty God coming down from Sinai like a mighty warrior set on destruction, stirring oceans, crushing mountains, all creation bowing before him. In the other, we have Jesus, the humble king, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. How are these pictures the same? Well, I think they are the same. Let me explain. What does Matthew say about the arrival of Jesus Christ? Well, he quotes from Zechariah chapter 9. Say to the daughters of Zion, behold, your king is coming. And in Zechariah 9, what is the king coming to do? As you read that passage, he's coming for the same reasons. He's coming to judge and he's coming to save. And what do the people cry? They say, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. In Matthew 21, God is coming in power to judge and to save. And so while it might sound strange at first, I think these two passages are actually describing the very same reality. And Matthew is describing the literal historical events, Jesus riding into Jerusalem. And yet Habakkuk, just like that song from Moses, Habakkuk is describing the same thing, but unveiling for us an unseen reality. As Jesus marches into Jerusalem, he calls on us to use our imaginations, if you will. This is the revelation. God is on the move. The creator is coming in power. He's coming down from Sinai like a mighty warrior. Creation bows before him. Even as men and women sing and lay their palm branches down, remember what Jesus says, if they don't praise him, even the rocks will cry out. And yet, what is he coming to do? Well, he's coming to judge. It's the first thing he does. He walks into Jerusalem and he, he judges, he condemns God's false, the false worship of God in the temple. 
and he's coming to save, to rescue his people from their sins. He's coming to judge and to save. And perhaps the most shocking thing is how Jesus intends to do it. Uh, This is something Jesus' own disciples fail to understand. It's something that Habakkuk, uh, at his position, just couldn't see. Uh, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God had prepared for those who loved him. Uh, And yet it is something, uh, standing this side of the cross, that we can see very clearly today. Uh, Jesus didn't come to judge and to save by crushing his enemies. Uh, No, Jesus came to judge and to save by being crushed in their place. Uh, You see, God's solution, uh, we discover, God's solution to evil uh, doesn't just happen all at once. Uh, No, this is is something that the New Testament reveals. We could say this, God's coming described in Habakkuk 3 happens two different times in human history. Uh, Yes, God is going to come in power to judge the world at the end of time. Uh, And on that day, I think we have to say, in some ways, what's described here will not be poetry. Uh, The image of God shaking the earth, crushing nations will be a literal truth. We'll all see it with our own two eyes. God is going to punish all evil. And yet this is the amazing thing. Before that day, what did God do? Well, in his grace, we can say God decided to come early. No less in power, but in power displayed in grace. You see, through, through the Lord Jesus Christ, God came to judge and save a people for himself. You see, though God made us and loves us, all of us reject God. All of us are sinners. None of us, left to ourselves, would survive that final day. But God came first in the person of his son. Uh, He did that so he, the perfect lamb of God, could die and bear the judgment and justice of God in our place. On the cross, God's mighty arrows were pointed at him. Uh, On the cross, God's, God's mighty spear pierced his side. In Christ, God crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying them bare from thigh to neck. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that those who trust in him might receive his righteousness. And having borne our sins, he was raised up to life. In Jesus, we witness not only the salvation of God's people, but but also the salvation of God's Christ, God's anointed. God came in power through Christ, to judge evil and to save his people from their sins. And having died and rose again, guess what? Jesus Christ has promised he is coming again. And not only as judge, he will certainly come as judge. Uh, But listen to what we read in Hebrews uh, chapter 9, verse 28. He will appear a second time, uh, writes the author to the Hebrews, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And this is the revelation of Habakkuk, isn't it? Uh, God has come in Christ, and God is coming in Christ. Uh, He is coming in power to judge and to save. Uh, This is the great revelation of which we sing, of which we've already sung as we've met. Uh, It's the revelation that demands as a response from us as well, isn't it? Uh, The great revelation, God is coming in power uh, to judge and to save. Uh, It demands a response, and, and yet this is the second way that this song from Habakkuk is so helpful. Having considered the revelation, God is coming in power to judge and save. Let's look at the response. The response, And what we see here is this. As we consider this truth, it should fill us with, with mixed emotions. This is something we see in Habakkuk's song. It's there at the beginning, at the end. And we can describe these mixed emotions in this way. 
On the one hand, it's a sense of horror, a sense of horror that God is going to come in power and judge. And yet at the same time, there's a sense of hunger, a sense of hunger, a desire that he would come quickly to do this. Firstly, there's a sense of horror, of fear, of dread. Don't you have a sense of terror about the day when God comes? If not, then you should. Look down at verse 16, Habakkuk 3, verse 16. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. A few weeks ago, I was showing our daughter a video of someone bungee jumping. Don't ask me why I was doing that. It's never something, never something I plan to do, and I'm pretty sure it's not something she is going to end up doing either. Uh, But on this particular video, the jumper was there standing on the edge of a walkway, hanging over a deep ravine. Uh, She was all ready to go, all suited up, except she wasn't ready to go. Uh, She was standing there literally trembling at the prospect. Uh, Habakkuk considers what he's just seen, this vision from God. This is in one sense where he stands in, in much fear and much trembling. Except what he's facing is much more terrifying, much more shocking of a prospect than than jumping into a ravine. This is almighty God coming in power, raging and ravaging the earth. This is all of the power of the all-powerful God. What an amazing and an awful thing. As I once heard someone say, this isn't God almighty, this is God almighty. And the problem is, deep in our hearts, I think we have a false image of God, don't we? At some point, perhaps as children, we've begun to think of God as Santa Claus. He's a nice old man, a little bit confused, perhaps charmingly befuddled. And yet, this is not the image of God we get in the Scriptures, isn't it? No, this is the image here, a God who is a warrior, pure in holiness, his arrows pointed at evil. And listen, by right, that means his arrows are pointed at you, at me at everyone apart from the Lord Jesus. You were evil. Don't take my word from it. In fact, this is Jesus Christ's own verdict on you. And so the judgment of God should fill us with a right sense of dread. We read about that also in in the letter to the Hebrews. In Hebrews 10, we read it's a, a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Do you believe that? It's a fearful thing to fall into God's hands. And I wonder if we're so familiar with God's grace that we often miss this terrifying reality. God's judgment should cause us to tremble. The very thought, rottenness, should enter our bones. We should sense horror about that final day, not least because of this, not least because of the fact that many of the people that we know and love don't have a saving knowledge of Jesus. And many of those we love will find themselves on the wrong side of God's justice that we discover here in Habakkuk 3. As we read later on in the New Testament, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, on the last day, Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Now, do you have a sense of the seriousness of the judgment of God? Are you horrified at the thought of the return of the Lord Jesus. Uh, This is one of the things that we should feel. It should be part of our response. And yet at the same time, even as we're filled with dread, there is something else too, isn't there, that we see? We also see a a sense of hunger and and longing, a sense of hopeful anticipation in Habakkuk. 
Habakkuk goes on in verse 16. Rottenness enters my bones, he says. My legs tremble beneath me. And yet I will wait patiently for the day of trouble to come. Why? Because it will bring justice. It will bring trouble upon the people who invade us. In fact, that word wait in verse 6 could be translated groan. I will quietly groan. It communicates a, a hunger pang, a sense of longing for this reality. In fact, it sounds a lot like what we read in, in Romans 8, verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. As we look at the world, as we look at our lives, don't we groan? In fact, Chip expressed that in our prayer this morning. Uh, don't we feel hunger pangs for a perfect world? Don't we long for God to do something about all of the evil? Uh, this brings us full circle, doesn't it? It's where the book of Habakkuk starts. How can God stand idly by? How can he look at evil? Uh, don't we hunger for the justice of God? Don't we yearn uh, deeply that God would do something? about everything wrong. Uh, the book of, uh, book of Habakkuk starts with this longing for God to act. Uh, and we find it actually ends in the same way. He's still longing, except now he has a confidence that God will indeed do something. Uh, and as Christians, we have an even greater assurance than that. Uh, we know not only will God do something, but that he's already done something. But we know that in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has already dealt the death blow to evil. Uh, we know that Christ has borne the punishment our sins deserve. Uh, and that means we can, we can stand uh, in that final day and, and look upon God with confidence. Uh, we know that in his coming again, uh, we can find hope. Uh, we know that evil has an expiration day. We know that Satan's days are now numbered. And so we should be waiting for and hastening the coming day of God as, uh, as uh, we read in the second letter of Peter. Uh, we should be singing Habakkuk songs, echoing the words that we read just up at the page in verse 2. I love this verse, Habakkuk 3, verse 2. O Lord, I have heard the report of you. I know what you've said. Uh, on your work, O Lord, do I fear. The prospect of judgment fills me with dread. And yet here is the prayer. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In other words, I've seen the vision, I've heard what you've said. Uh, now, Lord, come and do it. In fact, it's like he's praying the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Habakkuk longs for God to act. He yearns for God to act. He hungers for God to act. And then we have this amazing line, don't we, at the end of verse 2. In your wrath, remember mercy. This is the only way Habakkuk, or you and I, can truly hunger for that day. Yes, it will bring untold horrors for those who don't know Christ, but Christ came for this reason, to show us mercy and to prepare us for that day. In his wrath, God remembered mercy at the cross. In fact, the wrath and mercy of God come together because he poured out his wrath there on his son. He will remember us in mercy when Jesus Christ comes again. And so this is Habakkuk's song. Like every good song, it has a revelation and a response. 
Uh, the revelation, God is coming in power to judge and to save. Uh, and the response that it calls for is perhaps surprising. It's one of, of horror, but also one of hunger. Fearing the day in one sense, uh, but also longing for that day to come. Uh, that is Habakkuk's song. And let me ask you, is it your song? Do you know that revelation? Have you responded to it? Uh, do you have a sense of horror, a sense of the true judgment of God coming? But, but have you been prepared for that day by trusting in the Lord Jesus? Uh, this is Habakkuk's song, but is it your song? And may God put this song in each of our hearts and also on each of our lips this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for these words from Habakkuk, a great vision of your power, of your glory, of you coming in judgment and salvation. And Lord, we pray that you would truly help us not just know this in our minds, but feel it in our hearts. Help us know this truth. Lord, help us even sing of it. Lord, give us a true sense of your power, a true sense of your purpose, and help us to hunger for that day with confidence in your mercy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.